Well, George, you did get me crying there, so Lydia's right about that one. Uh, you know, I thought about, man, that's so humbling to hear your child say something touching like that. And Although I did think that she was the one that suggested the coffee in the pantry. <laughs> and I also thought, honey, Lydia and I are like in another way. I think she exaggerates a little bit. <laughs> Cindy's always telling me, you exaggerate. Well, that's what we preachers do, right? So, anyway, um, we are in a famous parable today. And it's a little bit long, but I, I want to read as we stand before God. You know, we, we always stand at scripture reading because it is a way to say, God, you're worthy. And your word is worthy for us to show honor. So we stand in honor. So I'm going to ask you to stand in honor as I read. This is from the Passion Translation. So it's kind of long, but I think it's worth it. Then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me my share of your estate? So the father went ahead and distributed between the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry because there was a severe famine in the land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished he was willing to eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing and thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I'll never again be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. So the young son set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son, who was returning home. The father raced out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him all over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. The father interrupted and said, Son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For my beloved son was once dead, but now he's alive. Once he was lost, now he's found, and everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Now the older son was out working in the field, when his brother returned and he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. He called over one of the servants and asked, What's going on? The servant replied, It's your younger brother. He's returned home and your father's throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him, Come and enjoy the feast with us. The son said, Father, listen. How many years have I worked like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son? And I've never once disobeyed you, but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you ever given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends as this son of yours is now doing. 
Look at him. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living, and here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. The father said, My son, you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to rejoice and celebrate like this because your brother was once dead and gone, but now he is alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he's found. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this story of a loving father and a wayward son that came home. God, I pray as we look at your word this morning, that you would speak. God, may we hear far beyond what I can say. Holy Spirit, touch us. And so, Father, we want to hear from you. So speak. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to start out remarks talking about the fact that uh, we dads are imperfect fathers. Uh, you know, of course, that is uh, kind of obvious. What a job. I have four children who are now grown, and they're all totally different. It's like, man, they came from us. How can they all be so different, right? And it made me think about the story of a young couple, and uh, the guy, he, he was so looking forward to being a dad. He thought, I'm going to be the best dad ever. Super dad, you know. And so he, he started thinking, I just need to go ahead and start working on a book. And so he came up with a title. And he, he entitled it, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Being a Parent. And then something happened. Found out his wife was going to have a child. And so uh, baby was born. His view changed a little bit after not being able to sleep. And, you know, getting up in the night and try, trying to help and, and all of the stresses. And so he, he said, maybe I need to change the title of that book to Wisdom for Those Who Want to Be a Parent Someday. It made me think, uh, this week I listened, I was just messing around looking on YouTube, and they had this section, The Humor of President Ronald Reagan. And Reagan told this one joke and I, I just had to throw this in here when I heard it. I thought this was so good. Uh, matter of fact, he, he said that one time he was um, talking to Danny Villanova, who used to be a place kicker for the Los Angeles Rams. And uh, anyway, he told a s story about eating at the house of a young couple who had a baby. And uh, while they were sitting there, uh, Danny and this, this young father who was a baseball player, as a matter of fact, for the Dodgers. And they were talking about sports, and the young mom, young wife, she's, you know, preparing the meal. Suddenly the baby starts crying, looks over at her shoulder. She says, you need to go change that baby. He said, that's not my job. I'm a professional baseball player. <laughs> and Reagan said she put her hands on her hips, and she communicated. <laughs> I love that. And, and I'm going to read to you just what it said because, man, I, you know, I can't do it like Reagan. But uh, here's why. This is great. He said, uh, look, Buster, you lay the diaper out like a diamond. You put second base on home plate. You put the baby's bottom on the pitcher's mound. You hook up first and third, slide home underneath, and if it starts to rain, the game ain't called. <laughs> you got to do it again. Right. Then a third child was born. 
Oh, boy. And you know what happens? By the time you get your third child, you run out of laps. You run out, there's one on each lap. Now what do you do, right? And so he changed the title. Pray for me, for I am a struggling father of three. Now, I just want to look at some principles from this parable about the imperfect dad, which dads, that's us here. And then I want to take a little time as we prepare to go to the Lord's Supper to look at our perfect heavenly father as we worship him. So let's jump into this. First, the father honored the choices of his children. This young son comes to his father and, you know, he says, I... All this money sitting there in my inheritance, I don't want to wait till I'm old. I want to enjoy it now. And, of course, this just sounds crazy to all of us. But there was a great lesson that was learned by that young son as he went off and he squandered that money. And he was broken and he came home. And it made me think of the fact that, you know, you get so caught up in what you have. Kind of like the song that George sang, Cat Cat's Cat Stevens, I think is the way it went. That kind of dates me a little bit, I guess. But anyway... Um, the very fact that God lets us make choices. He doesn't have to do that. And sometimes we think we have to protect our children. We have to make sure they don't get hurt. But you know, the truth is, we can only protect them so far. Really, our job is to work ourselves out of having a job. We want them one day to be adults. We want them one day to be able to be dads, to be moms. We, we want them one day to be responsible. And they do that by making wise choices. And, and so what we need to do is, is to be available and to guide them, but not make every decision for them. And in this case, that is what this father did. He didn't make every choice. I heard one parent say, Oh, you know, I, I, right before my daughter got married, she started dating this guy, and I thought, what is she doing with that big gorilla? My baby with a gorilla. He says, but it's worked out now well a couple of years later as I have grown to learn and love him. You know, so often we can't see the big picture, and we just have to be there to love and to guide appropriately. We can't make all our decisions. We can't micromanage everything for our child. We just want to put them in a position where they can make wise, godly decisions. Number two, in the text of the parable, when he came to his senses, the young son said this, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? You see, he was a businessman who didn't just care about growing the business, he cared about the people who worked he cared about their condition, and he took care of them. And this young son, as he's thinking about his condition, he remembers his dad, how he was faithful in his business dealings, how he is a man of integrity. It makes me think of Proverbs eleven three. It says, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unrighteous are destroyed by their duplicity. In other words, by not being the same all the time, by being moral, by doing what is right, by being a provider, by caring the one, for the ones that God has given you charge to. Guys, one of the, one of the big jobs is we, we need to be there for our families. And he was. And this young son was able to see that, and that, that's powerful. 
and we, we live in a day sometimes, um, I don't know, that work ethic is so important. And guys, may we pass that on, the importance of working. And, you know, I have been happy to see, you know, my kids want to work, so I'm grateful for that. And, it, you know, it's a good, it's a good work ethic. Um, next, his father was approachable. Listen to verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, I have sinned. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He got up and went to his father. Now, here's what I love. I mean, obviously, this young guy messed up royally, right? When he was at his lowest, you know, some homes, it, it could be memories of my dad yelled at me all the time. My dad never did compliment me. He said, you'll never amount to anything. And, and maybe, you know, there are a lot of sons that would be afraid to go to their father, but not him. His father was approachable. And that is so powerful, guys. We need to be approachable where our family, where our children, where others feel like they can come to us. And the first thing we're going to do is not go, I told you so. I told you so. But to be approachable, to let them know that they mean more than what they did wrong. There's so much value and so much power in that. And as a matter of fact, part of loving our children is to let them fail. Now what, sometimes you just fail. Sometimes you just mess it up. And sometimes when I pray, I, I pray, God, let me just not mess it up. But, you know... Truth of the matter is, God in His power works through our weakness. And so, it is important, guys, to be approachable. Next, the father saw repentance in the son, and he quickly decided to forgive and restore him. Listen, this is from verse 20. He got up, went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. You know, I, I love that picture. The, the dad, he, he, he goes outside every day and he's looking in the distance for his son. And then one day he sees him. And his son's coming toward him and he's rehearsing his speech. Okay. Well, Dad, I know I really messed up. I know I don't deserve all this. Anyway, he goes through the whole speech, and I, I can imagine him saying it over and over again because he's totally humbled. But what does the father do? He, he's not thinking, I'm going to get him. But he does run toward him, and he runs with open arms. And I love the picture because it says he embraced him. And, and I, I love it because the original language, it basically says he kissed him all over. Now, the house I grew up in, guys just didn't kiss each other all over. It just, you know, that. My dad, it was trouble showing affection, and I'll never forget for years, I would tell my dad I loved him, and he never told me back. I knew he loved me, but that just, you know, he was World War II era and that, uh, you know, Great Depression, all that, and he just, that just wasn't him, you know. I'll never forget, though, near the end of his life, one day I talked to him on the phone. I said, Dad, I love you. He said, I love you too, son. And I will never forget that. I'll never forget that. Showing compassion and love and restoring when one has fallen, it is so beautiful and it is so powerful. Um, 
I love what he said, you know, in the meeting with his other son. He said, this son was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. This father showed genuine love and compassion. He didn't hesitate. He didn't investigate. As a matter of fact, before the son could go into that speech, that's when he grabbed him, and he embraced him and showered him with affection. It's, it's a beautiful picture of love. And I think the lesson here is if at all possible, guys, let's keep that bridge of communication open. Let's not shut it closed so that we can have a relationship. And then finally, we find a father who did not show favoritism toward his children, although the older brother accused him of it. You know, I love that part where he says, this son of yours... Reminds me sometimes in families, you know, when mom and dad are kind of fighting, and they say, this son of yours, it's your son too, you know. <laughs> but, you know, <clears throat> but this idea of favoritism, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. As a matter of fact, I love that when he responds to the older son, and he tells him, you know, son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. You know, I always, I always think about this older lady um, that was a real blessing in one place that we were at. Her name was Evelyn Douglas, very wise. And I'd ask her stuff, I'd, I'd say, um, you know, this stuff about which child do you love the most, how do you answer that? And Evelyn said, oh, that's very simple. The one I love most is the one who needs me now. Yeah, good stuff. It's not a matter of showing preference for one. It's a matter of going to the one who needs you. And, and that's what he was saying to the other son. Hey, look, we are all flawed. Guys, uh, one commentator, he said this. He said, dads, live your lives as somebody so that a kid would stick out his chest and not his tongue <laughs> when thinking about you. Now, talked about the imperfect father or dad which we represent guys those of us who are dads here now i want to talk about our heavenly father he's a perfect father matthew 5 verse 48 it says therefore be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect and of course that's from the sermon on the mount and you know what jesus said through that whole thing is you need a savior you need me everything you read it's just man it's like arrows just cut you because you're not it. I'm not it. We need him. We need the heavenly father. So I, I thought about this in all five of these as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. And I thought about the fact that God loves us enough to let us go. Forced love is not love at all. Coerced love is not a willingness to love back. God wants us to love Him back. And so He is willing to let us go. He is willing to let us leave. To go another direction. And yet, He has done everything possible to provide us a road home. That's the cross. That's the story, the good news of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the Father was diligent in His business dealings with us. I love 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. It says, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor for your sake, 
so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And that is exactly what's happening. We are spiritual beggars. We don't have anything to offer God. We can't impress God. We can't meet his standard of holiness by our goodness by seeking to obey the law and following Him as perfect children. It is just not possible. It can not happen. So what has God done? He sent His one and only perfect Son, a lamb without spot or blemish, and He was placed upon a cross with His wrath, the wrath of the Father, placed upon the Son so that we would not have to face that wrath. That is the love, the perfect love of God. He gave us His riches. Those of us who were utterly, completely poverty-stricken spiritually, we have the riches of Jesus. I love it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. It says, For all the promises of God in Christ are yes, because of what He's provided for us. Third, the heavenly Father is approachable. Amen, I love this. You think about how holy God is. Why wouldn't he zap us and look at us, right? And yet we are told that at the moment that Jesus died, something happened. What happened? Well, the only way really to approach God was once a year, and it had to be by the high priest, and he went into the Holy of Holies, which was a place only the designated person for all the people could go, this high priest. And as he entered the place, you know, I've heard stories they would even put a, a bell with a, a cord attached to it because they thought he might just die in there from the holiness of God and we'll just pull him out with that rope, you know, so even though he's the high priest. But at the moment that Jesus died, the curtain that was in there, a heavy curtain split from the top to the bottom. And that signified that God decided he was going to take away the barriers by the work of the cross. And so that the the curtain would be tore away and we could go directly and freely into the presence of God. Now that's some good news, guys. It is not anything that we deserve. It is the unconditional, powerful, pursuant love of our perfect Heavenly Father. That's what He's provided. I love Ephesians 3, verse 12. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So, this is where it starts. You've got to be in Him. Are you in Jesus Christ? Are you part of His family? Have you received Him into your heart? Have you made a conscious decision to bow before Him as King of kings and Lord of lords and ask Him to forgive you? You have to be in Him. It's in Him. And then there is a participatory part of it. He says, and through faith in Him. It is still our daily faith. It, that is how we are to live. That is how we are to walk. That is how we are to face each day. Through faith in Him. And what happens when we do that? Man, we may approach God. And it's not like we come in there and he's, you know, he's going to smack me. That's not it, man. He says we approach God with freedom and confidence. In other words, come just as you are, one of those songs we sing, and he won't reject you. And there's a confidence there that our Heavenly Father says, come sit on my lap, enjoy me, spend time with me, because I've made it happen. <laughs> and we live in that fullness. We live in that fullness. Fourth, 
God did his part to show compassion and give us a road called repentance. Now, think about it. As you look through the Bible, really the Bible is a love story about a jilted lover who continues to pursue his wayward object of affection. That's mankind. Man, you look in the Bible, we just kept breaking God's heart. We just kept rebelling against him. They tried to fulfill the law. Some would turn back and come back, and there was remnant and all of that work. But, you know, it just never was enough. And so that's why the cross. That's why the cross. I have found myself a lot lately saying, you know, there's a reason for the cross. The cross wasn't just one way to have a relationship with God. The cross is the only way to have a relationship with God because it takes a perfect sacrifice and the only one is Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says the gospel so clearly. Listen to this. It's, I might get excited. It happens sometimes. <laughs> he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Man, if that won't make you sing and shout, check your pulse, you know. Think about it. Him who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. But what did he do? The one who knew no sin. He didn't only just talk about sin. He became sin for us. The curse. The curse was placed upon Jesus Christ. He became sin for us. And why did he do it? So that we might become the righteousness of God. So that we might have eternal life. And so that we might have strength and power in Christ to face each day. That's why he did it. Guys, that's why he did it. And you know what? It should make us want to worship him. All right. Did this a few years ago, and I felt wanted to do it again. This is back when we were studying Revelation. You remember that. I'm sure you don't. We preachers think y'all are supposed to remember everything. but <laughs> You know what I mean. But anyway, Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. Um, I'd ask the guys if they could find it and put it up there. Because I want us to worship. See, we're going to participate together in the Lord's Supper here in a moment. But this is a picture up in the heavens. They've surrounded the Lamb of God. And they're getting ready to worship. Now, that gives me holy goosebumps just to try to use some sanctified imagination and a glimpse of it. And obviously, um, we won't know till we're there. I thought it'd be a little bit fun. And if we got the song, we can shout it out to the Lord. So what I want to do, there it is. Thank you, guys. Revelation 5.12. What I want us to do is three times. I want us in worship to say this. But I want us to start out. It doesn't have to be a whisper, whisper, but kind of quiet. Second time louder. And the third time, let it rip. I know we're Baptists, but every once in a while, Baptists, we got to let it rip. Hear me? 
That's not a spiritual term, but anyway, we'll use it. All right, you ready? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. All right, a little louder. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. You ready? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Amen. Okay, anyway. Thank you. That, that was helpful for the chance to worship. Now, time to remember him. That's what this is about. It is a sacred ordinance where we are called to remember the cross and the work of Jesus Christ. It is not to be taken lightly. It is a sacred time to worship. And so as we take, you take the top here off, there's a, a thin part uh, here that you remove in order to get to the wafer. And the wafer is representative of the body of Jesus Broken for you. Broken for you. So let's take the wafer and remember his broken body. Broken for you. Let's pray for one more. God, we are grateful for your broken body, Lord. It is your broken body, Father, that allows us to worship. And Father, as we also think of your blood spilled for us, shed for us, Lord, an undeserving gift you are, but you gave your life anyway. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. All right, that's going to be that second section and drink from this juice represents the Lamb of God, a Lamb without blemish or defect, perfect blood of God. First Corinthians eleven twenty six tells us, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. One more time, we don't have to be loud this time, but I thought three times it would be good as we think about following Jesus, our example. I just want us to say three times of the dying to self, living for Christ. You ready? Dying for self, living for Christ. Dying to self, living for Dying to self, living for Christ. Now, I have one more point, <laughs> and then an invitation as we close. Uh, the last one is, you know, guys, there is no favoritism in the kingdom of God. One of, you know, I love that saying, all ground is level at the cross. Man, it doesn't matter what kind of nutso you are. Jesus died for you. And, and, you know, we live in a culture today that wants to constantly emphasize 
how we are different. <laughs> We're separated by the color of our skin. Are you kidding me? The gospel's colorblind. <laughs> um, we're separated by the prestige of our job position or lack of. Jesus died for all. We're separated by the level of attractiveness. Sometimes, I, you know, the older I get, the more I dislike men. They're cruel, absolutely cruel. But anyway, although we want to be attractive, God must have seen us as attractive or he wouldn't die on the cross for us. We are the apple of his eye, and he loves us. Um, sometimes we are separated by financial savings, you know, having our bank. You know, I don't have that much money, you know, whatever. And then political philosophy. Don't worry, I'm not even going to get into, you know, all that. But the point of the matter is, it is not about what may separate us. It is about what brings us together. What brings us together? The cross, the cross of Christ, the love of God, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Maybe there is someone here who has never experienced that new start, that new life that comes when you bow to Jesus you just be honest and pray to him with an honest heart. You don't have to be all spiritual. You just have to be honest before God. A prayer is something like this. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I place my life in your hands. You died for me. I want to live for you. Please forgive me and enter my life. Make me new. I want you to consider that. Maybe there's someone here who hasn't taken that first step. It'd be a good day today. I, I love what it says in the scriptures, today is the day of salvation. Why not today? It'd be a good day. For others of us, as we prepare to have this time, we call it invita invitation, response. We have an altar that's open. Maybe there's something you're dealing with and you need to come before the altar or something you may want to share with the church body. Or maybe, as we've talked about the cross, maybe the burden is not for you, but for somebody you know who is without Jesus Christ. And he has given you a burden for them. And maybe he's calling you to the altar to plead on their behalf. Because I believe very strongly that God does work, but he works when people pray. Is he calling you to pray for someone who is without him? As we stand, as we sing, will you obey, will you come as he speaks to you? God, move among us. Father, I just want to be out of the way, and I just want you to move. In Christ's name, amen.